Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Uh, I'm teaching out of Ephesians 5 today, so if you want to go ahead and turn there, I'll get started and stop rambling. Last week, we started a series, and that series was called The Process. And the idea is that there's a process to discipleship, to live in the life that God called us to live. And it's our responsibility to submit to that process. And so we started last week using this graph, and I'll use it for the, for the entirety of the four lessons in it. Uh, we started with being rooted in Christ Jesus in Colossians 2, 6 through 7. And I'm not going to go back and reteach that, but I am going to recap it by saying this. We have to understand that your salvation is not your work. That the Holy Spirit tilled the soil and broke the ground so that the work of someone else in declaring the gospel message to you might plant a seed in you. Amen? And in planting that seed, that seed is busted and root starts to grow. The only thing we have to offer to that process is our submission and our confession. But God tells us if we are continue to be rooted and strengthened in our root system, which is what I explained in Colossians last week, that there is there are three things that we need to do we, to, to ensure our roots stay the way they are or get stronger. Found, we have to have a foundation set in Christ Jesus. If your discipleship is based in any other thing besides the name of Jesus, your foundation will fall and crumble. There is no other name, according to Acts chapter 4, but under heaven that a man should be saved except for Christ Jesus. Amen. He is the foundation. He is everything that we are building on, everything you should be building on, and therefore the root of the life you're trying, he's trying to grow in you. So that we're founded in Christ Jesus, but established in our faith. What does that mean? That means we're settled in our faith. I'm unshakable. I'm immovable. The good thing about a root system is it'll hold you where you are. If I have enough faith, and I'm going to say this, it's controversial to some folks, but I'll tell you, if you have enough faith to declare Jesus Christ is Lord, you have enough faith for everything the Word of God offers you. You're like, man, I'm waiting on my miracle. You have enough faith to believe Jesus Christ is Lord, you have enough faith for your miracle. Thank you. It's just the truth. So we have to be settled in our faith after having been founded in Christ Jesus. And this is where we go off course. It says then that we must live a life of gratitude. Every time I say thank you, my roots grow a little bit deeper, a little bit stronger. So many of us live in such blessing and the only thing that we want to fill our mouth with is how bad our life is. The fact of the matter is some of the worst, the poorest people in our country live in the top 3% of the world's population in regard to economics. We have plenty to be thankful for. Amen. We have a lot. If we didn't have anything but Jesus, that's more than we should ever be able to fill our mouth with. That's, that's a lifetime of thank you. Live a life of gratitude, and you'll see that gratitude multiplying you into a lifestyle of gratitude. 
Today, though, I want to move from being rooted to growing. Because at some point, if a root system just exists to exist, that root system is going to die. That root system exists to hold something, to plant something, to ensure that something is stable and immovable. And although that plant system is rooted in Christ Jesus, it is grown also in Christ-likeness. We're called to grow in Christ-likeness. I want to talk to you about when I was a child for just a moment. I used to love to draw. When I was a kid, when I'm talking about kid, I mean like six or seven years old. I loved to draw. The problem was I couldn't draw. <laughs> but if you ask me, can you draw? I'd say, yeah, I can draw. You know why? Because I was six or seven. You ask a six-year-old kid, can you dance? What are they going to tell you? Yeah, I can dance. They may not have a clue how to dance right, but they'll tell you they can physically dance. Can you draw? Yeah, I can draw. Can you sing? Yeah, I can sing. Don't put. I think I can sing. Don't put a microphone in my hand and ask me to sing, though. You're not going to enjoy it. But I believe I have the ability to sing. And so when I was a child, I thought, man, I love to draw, but I wasn't good at it. I wanted to be good at it, but I wasn't. My papa and my granny realized that. And instead of saying, you're not good at that, go do something else, they did me a huge favor. They went and bought me how to draw books. <laughs> Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? The little how to draw books is they're pretty they're pretty fun, or they were back then. And there were several stages to a how to draw book. The first stage was a picture, and it was usually something simple like the outline of a hand or something like that. And then there was a piece of paper that would go over the top of it that was thin enough you could see through it and you would trace. So you would start tracing the item that you were trying to draw. And you would, I remember starting out, man, I was, I was six years old. I was, I was legit like this. I was, I was focused, man. I was, <laughs> was going to get it right, right? Even though at six years old, it still wasn't quite right. But I was going to get it right. But eventually, my tracing became very smooth. And it became a lot easier. And then until ultimately, I could trace very quickly. And it was time for me to move to the next part of my How to Draw book. The next part of my How to Draw book had two hands, one on the left side, one on the right side, and was covered with, this is important, <laughs> it was covered with a graph, like a four square by four square chart graph on this side and then just the graph on this side. And the idea was to take those 12 squares and just concentrate on one square at a time what was inside of that square and mimic what was inside of that square. And then hopefully, by the time you got done with all 12 squares, those all those 12 squares looked like the hand on the left side of the page. Not always, but that was the hope. Here's the great thing. The more I did it, the better I got at it. At some point, I could take the graph away, which was the final part of the How to Draw book, because I had mimicked what that hand and that drawing looked like enough. I could then draw it without looking at it or just by looking at it, not tracing it, not having a graph. And it got to the point to where I would eventually be so comfortable drawing the hand and so smooth and so good at it that you really couldn't tell the difference between the two hands, the one that I drew and the one that was printed in the book. Why do I tell you this? I tell you this because this is our Christian life. 
We come in, we don't know how to, but we know we are. I'm a Christian. I don't know how to be a Christian, but I want to be a Christian real bad. I want to live a life of a Christian real bad. And so what do I do? I start tracing and mirroring the images of the people around me. What does this look like? How do they do it? Why do they do it? And then from tracing, I move to graphing. And I start actually paying attention and starting to add my own detail. Start paying attention myself, what's going on. And more and more and more I do it, the closer I get to where I look like Jesus. And that's the goal. The goal, the spiritual mandate, is to walk as Christ walked. That's what the Bible tells us. And so as I grow, I have a purpose I'm growing towards, and that is to grow into Christ-likeness. I have to move from a place of tracing to a place of graphing to a place of, man, is that Jesus? And that's the goal. The people look at us and they say, I see the original artist in his life. That's, that's the purpose of growth. And so I want to talk to you about how we get that done. How I ensure that I grow in Christ's likeness so that I mirror the life of Christ the way that I should. And I'm going to do that today out of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. If you will join me, it reads like this. Therefore, be imitators of God, as beloved children, and walk in Him. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality and impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints, and there must be no filthiness and silly course or coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather giving thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Amen. So there's three points I'm going to make in regard to growing in Christ-likeness. Somebody's going to say, well, you forgot such and such. And I might have. This is what the Holy Spirit told me to communicate to you today. So these are the three points I'm going to make to you today out of this text. As we grow in Christ-likeness, as we grow in our discipleship, become more and more like the picture we're trying to draw, more specifically like the picture God is trying to draw in us, we have to first grow in our knowledge of Him. We have to grow in our knowledge of Him. And just so you know, if you're visiting with us or have just recently started visiting with us, I teach in bullet point format so it's easier for you to take notes because I don't want you to trust me. I know that sounds strange. I want you to take notes. And I want you to take notes so you can take it home and study it to make sure I'm not lying to you. Amen? So anyway, grow in our knowledge of Him. Paul, Paul begins this section by saying, therefore be imitators of God. What does that mean? What's an imitator? What does an imitator do? An imi to imitate something means to mimic that behavior. It says we are to mimic or imitate God if we expect to, to grow. 
I have a grandson. Many of you know this. Many of you grow tired of me talking about him, but I don't care. <laughs> he's now about to be 18 months, and he's at a place where he's mimicking behaviors. When I raise my hand, he raises his hand. When I scrunch my face up, he scrunches his face up. When he starts screaming at me, I know he's been listening to a memo. <laughs> she just gave me the... Y'all feel me. You know what I'm saying. He's going to end up mimicking the talk patterns, the walk patterns of me, his mima, his mama, his daddy, the people that he is in closest proximity to. It's the reason why there's truth in saying that if you show me your 10 closest friends, I'd never have to meet you, but I could tell you who you are. Because you will mimic the behaviors of the people that you spend the most time with. And we are supposed to be mimickers of God. Amen. Now, mimickers of God. Have you ever seen God? I haven't either. I'd like to. I will one day. So how do we mimic something we've never seen? The fact of the matter is we have seen God in the Word of God. Every story of Christ Jesus is a reflection of God to us. Everything that points to Christ Jesus is an imitation, is a reflection of God to us. You want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. Because the Bible says this in regard to Jesus in Colossians 1.15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He became flesh so that we might be able to know what God looks like. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. If Jesus is the incarnate God, and He is, amen? Can somebody say amen? That's what the Bible says. We believe the infallible Word of God, and we don't compromise it for the sake of growing our ministry or for cultural relevance. The truth of God is the truth of God. And if the Bible says that Jesus is the invisible God so that we might be able to see who God is, then that's why Jesus came to show us who God is, which means that we must act like Jesus. We must mimic Jesus, His compassion, His mercy, His love, His kindness, His service, His long-suffering, and He's had to do a lot of that with me. We should be willing to grow in these areas because that is who Christ Jesus is, and that's who we've been called to be. We've been called to be like Jesus. Because Jesus is God. I tell you guys all the time, and I'm never going to grow tired of saying it, read your Bible. Man, you're wondering, what, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to act like? And you never open your Bible. You say stuff like, God doesn't talk to me. But you never open your Bible. God talks to you every time you open up your Word. There's a reason why Paul prayed to, for the Ephesian church in 117, and the reason I pray over this church, God give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know you better. You know how we receive wisdom and revelation? By reading the Word and being taught by the Holy Spirit of God in us. Amen. 
Because God, through Christ Jesus, made himself known so that we could grow in him, so that we could mimic him properly. Amen? Amen. I don't know about y'all, but I'm excited about that because God hasn't hidden his, safe, his face from me. And he hasn't hidden his face from you either. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, here so you can know him, so you can know his attributes, so, he can, so you can have confidence in who he is, that he loves you. And I'm going to tell you some of the things that I know the Bible says about the God that we serve, the God we should be doing everything we can to grow into. He is a God that is perfect. Psalms 1830 says, As for God, His way is blameless. The word of the Lord is refined, which means there's no impurity in it. He is absolutely perfect. So what should we be doing? We should be striving for perfection. We should chase after Him because this is what it means to mimic God, to be an imitator of God. But you can't imitate. I know I'm going around in circles, but I'm getting excited. It's what I do when I get excited. Well, we can't be imitators of God if we don't know what God looks like. And we can't know what God looks like if we don't read our Bible. I didn't say, let me tell you what Jesus looked like or let me tell you what God looks like based on my own imagination. I said, Psalm 1830. The Bible showed me this. He is faithful, which means loyal, true, constant in his devotion to you. According to these texts, he is faithful to meet your needs, Philippians 4.19. Faithful to keep you, Philippians 1.6. Let this build comfort in you. He is faithful to comfort you, Matthew 5.4. He is faithful to strengthen you, 2 Corinthians 12.9. He is faithful to keep his promises over you, according to 2 Peter 3.9. We could go on and on and on and on. But you know what I didn't say? In my opinion, God is these things. In my opinion, God is faithful. God is devoted to you. God will meet your needs. In my opinion, let me tell you, you are loved. I didn't say that because my opinion doesn't matter. The Word of God tells you this truth. Let this build comfort in you. And in that comfort, grow healthy. Man, that's good preaching. He is powerful. Psalms 147.5, Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. Abundant means overflowing in strength. You serve a God who is overflowing in strength, which means he's capable of being bigger than your problem. Three of y'all excited about that. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and discipline. Some of y'all's Bible says, or a strong mind. Do you know why? He was able to give us power, love, and a strong mind because he possesses power, love, and a strong mind. You can't give away something you don't have. Man, what am I trying to do? I'm just trying to show you a simple reflection of the God that you serve so that you'll know what you should look like. It's a challenge, right? But you got to read your Bible. I ask people, hey, where's your Bible at? Like physically, where's your Bible? And they'll be able to tell me because it's in the backseat of their car where they left it when they left church Sunday. Read your Bible. People are all, man, my life is horrible. Your life is horrible because you don't understand the promises of God that he's made over your life. You don't understand that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. You, don't, you haven't truly grasped who you are and what's been done on your behalf. 
because we don't read our Bible. Am I, am I being clear enough about to read the Bible thing? Amen. He's loving according to the Word of God. He is love according to the Word of God. 1 John 4, 8. Oh, that's good stuff. Verse 2. And walk in love. Just as, you know what, I'm going to back up before I say that. I love that y'all come to hear me preach. I think I'd do it if y'all weren't in the room. I've done it with y'all not in the room. <laughs> but can I tell you, I don't have any piece of information that isn't available to you. There is no special revelation for pastors. Like pastors, some pastors don't want you to know that. They all think, you got to come to the fountain, baby. I'm not the fountain. I'm just the cup. Amen. I'll hold whatever's coming out of the fountain and give it to you. But there's no special revelation for pastors. You want to know what I know about the Word of God? People ask me, they say, how did you get that out of the text? That is so rich. Because I spent time in the text. And the Spirit of God, I trust that He's going to give me wisdom and revelation so that I might know Him better. This is what I want for you. People say, pastors always want something from you. I'm not wanting anything from you. I'm wanting for you to know the God that I know. Amen? Amen. All right. <laughs> Secondly, we need to grow in our love and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Paul didn't stop with imitate God. He said, walk in love just as Christ loved us. We have to grow in our love. But it's interesting. He's, he's talking about a very specific kind of love, a sacrificial love. Let me tell you, you're not going to sacrifice anything. God's not going to give back to you. Jesus Christ sacrificed his life. God gave it back to him. You sacrifice your life. God's going to give it back to you. You have to love. I'm going to read this text again. And walk in love just as Christ also loved you. How did he love you? He gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God. God loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son. Don't allow familiarity breed complacency in you that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus came so that you might be in relationship with God, laid his life down so that you wouldn't have to die. Amen. Because that was our end. We were sons of disobedience and objects and subjects of God's wrath because of that disobedience. We were destined for judgment because we deserved judgment according to the Word of God. I'm not telling you something crazy. I could prove all of this to you in Scripture. He took our judgment according to 1 John 2, 2, 2. 1 John 2, 2. He took our wrath according to 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. Why did he need to take our judgment? Because God's not a liar. Can I personalize this? I keep saying our. Can I tell you he took your judgment? 
Don't look at your neighbor. Look at you. Don't look in their face. Look in your heart. You deserve judgment. I deserve judgment. The Bible says what about sin? The sin carries the penalty of what? Death. That's judgment. But sin can be forgiven for a price. And that's, that price is blood. For there shall be no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. So sin can be forgiven, but somebody had to shed their blood because Jesus, or God, is not a liar. Judgment price had to be paid. And Jesus decided for whatever reason, no other reason really than because he loved you, to stand in that space between you and God and take that punishment. But not just the punishment, the wrath of God. Did you hear me? Most people think, man, the... The, 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 what happened to Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary was just death. It was the wrath of God poured out. Y'all ever been mad? Y'all ever been like really super clench your teeth mad? As mad as you've been at any point in your life, your wrath it was not perfect. No matter what you thought you could do to another person, your wrath was not perfect. God's wrath, like everything else that God has, was perfect. And Jesus took the perfect wrath of God so you wouldn't have to. Why would God be mad at us? I hate that. God's not mad at you. Well, why wouldn't he be mad at you? He gave his son Jesus Christ for you, and you're denying him, or worse, confessing him and living like you didn't. I'd be mad at you too. But let's ask, why? Why is God mad? Why does he have to, why did Jesus have to absorb the wrath of God? Did you know that you were created in the image of God? That's what the Bible says in Genesis. You were created in the image of God. Not only were you created in the image of God, but then you were given dominion over all of the earth. I don't know if cats or dogs or whatever go to heaven. The Bible doesn't specifically state, honestly. I don't care. What I do know is that you have dominion and you carry the likeness of God to all of creation. So when you sin, when you do something you shouldn't do, you reflect God to his creation. You're taking his last name and making a mockery around town with it. I'd be mad too. My papa, the only thing he gave me was his good name, and I ruined it for a long time. He had every right to be mad at me. That's why Jesus had to absorb the wrath, because we had made a mockery of who he created us to be in divine rebellion. We have to grow in our love. I say all that to say we have to have a love willing to sacrifice like that, like Jesus sacrificed, up to and including our own death, if that's what it means, so that other people might know him too. You want to grow in Christ? Show that Christ matters to you enough to die for. <coughs> oh, well, what if I don't die? Well, if you don't die, die to self. 
some of us will be called to die. Some of us won't be called to die, but all of us are called to die to self, to take off the old self, put on the new self, to move from glory to glory because God has, hasn't any longer hidden himself from us. He showed us who he was in Christ Jesus. Amen? Love. Love is what I'm saying. What am I telling you? I'm telling you love, but don't just love this flippant love like you do your neighbor. Love like Jesus loves you. Don't love Jesus or other people like the people that you like and then treat everybody else like the people you don't like. Love everybody like Jesus loved you. You know, man, I can't really talk about Jesus at work because they get mad at me. Sacrifice for Jesus is what the Bible says. Love him like he loved you. Well, you don't know what's going to happen to me. I don't know what's going to happen to you. You know, what if I get fired? Are you going to pay my paycheck? No, but I know a God that supplies. And let me tell you, if your rent's due, I'll pay your rent. If I find out you lost your job because you were faithful to uphold the word of God, I'll pay your rent for as long as I'm capable of paying your rent. Because some things are more important. We need to learn to love right. Grow in our love. That's what disciples do. They realize that God didn't die just for you, although he would have if you were the only person here. He died for the person that doesn't know him too. You guys have heard me tell this story of Philip Michael. Somebody was bold enough to tell me, sit down, be quiet. If you keep living the way you're living, you're dying and going to hell. That seemed mean to me at the time until I tasted grace. And then it was the most beautiful, loving thing I've ever heard. And I'd never tell my testimony without talking without speaking the name of Philip Michael because Philip Michael is the one that was willing to declare the truth to me. Amen? Amen. Anybody hearing what I'm saying? Amen. So we're to grow in Christ. We are to grow in love. And we are to grow, and this is where it gets tough. Like, oh, we ain't it tough yet? <laughs> grow in submission. 3 through 5 says, But immorality and or impurity or greed must not be named among you as, a, as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous, covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. We have to grow in our submission to the Word of God. God shows Himself, but then He tells us our responsibility in regard to what He has shown us. If we're to reflect God, if we're to be like God, if we're, if we're to be the drawing that He is creating, we can't draw outside the lines. They ain't our lines to draw outside of. You're all, Pastor Jim, that's hard, man. Sometimes I fall. Sometimes I say stupid stuff. Man, I do too. Sometimes I say stupid stuff up here. No. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. But you know what I do when I do? I repent. I've surrounded myself with people. First, let me tell you, I have the Holy Spirit in me. And the Holy Spirit will convict you of your sin and righteousness and judgment according to the Word of God. But I've also surrounded myself with people that are spirit-filled who are willing to tell me, hey, you might have a blind spot here. 
And as I examine that against the Word of God, and if I find it to be true, my job is to repent, to put myself back under submission to the Word of God and the work that's been done on my behalf. And it's your responsibility too. You know, I don't like submission. Nobody asked you what you liked. I know that sounds harsh, but when you became a Christian, you said, I declare Jesus Christ as Lord. Believing in my heart that God raised him from the dead. That was the expectation if you were to be saved. When you say Jesus Christ is Lord, it means your opinion quit mattering. I have to put some stuff aside. I know I don't have the ability to in my own strength. I know that. That's God's smart enough to know that too. That's why he gave me the spirit. That's why sometimes I'm up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I know I need to pray. But I'm all, man, if I pray, God's going to know that I did something. If I ask him to forgive me, he's going to know I did it. And then it dawns on you at 3 o'clock in the morning, you idiot, he knows you did it anyway. <laughs> but you guys feel where I'm coming from. We have to submit ourselves to the Word of God, the influence of the Holy Spirit, and live a lifestyle of repentance. Because to say we're sorry doesn't prove we're sorry. Pastor Rick talked a little bit on Wednesday about the fruits of repentance. I can say I'm sorry, but if I never do anything to change the attitude or the behaviors that I had, I've proven only that I wasn't sorry. So we need to come into and under submission to the Word of God, to the provocation of the Holy Spirit, and sometimes listen to the God, people that God has placed around us as wise counsel, because they have the Spirit in them too. Ah, you're all, man, Pastor Jim, can't you give us just a sweet grace sermon? We do sometimes. But you have a responsibility to grace too. Amen? I challenge you because I love you. And I want to see all of us unseparated in eternity. That sounds sweet. Really, let me rephrase that. I don't want God to say, you didn't teach them right. That's the truth of it. I mean, I love y'all. I want to see y'all in heaven. But more importantly, I don't want God to say, I gave you something to say. You didn't say it. You decided you'd be more important if your church was full. God hasn't called us to that. He's called us to grow. Amen? Because as we grow, we strengthen. As we strengthen, we produce fruit. And as we produce fruit, we deliver the only thing to the throne of God we have to offer, which is the souls of other people. Amen? Amen. That's my hope. That's my prayer. Let us be people who are willing to grow at whatever thing it costs us.